You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 216. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Today's episode is sponsored by Squarespace.com. To try out Squarespace for free for two weeks or 14-day trial, head over to squarespace.com slash lively and enter the code lively at checkout if you want to go forward to get 10% off of your service. At the end of this episode, we'll be speaking with Lively Show listener Melanie Abrantes about her experience with the service. Now let's talk about where I am. Today, I am traveling as you listen to Amsterdam from Sydney. I am looking forward to this idea of traveling up to the northern summer as it is in Europe, getting warmer up there, so I hear. So excited to experience Amsterdam for a few days with my friend Faze and his business partner, Dan, just traveling around and having fun before we flow on to a conference I will be sharing a little bit more about at the end of this episode. Now let's talk about today's show though. Today we're talking about why some people love woo-woo teachings and others don't really resonate with them. When it comes to this quantum living, this is an important consideration to have in mind because as you listen to these new ideas, you may totally resonate with them or you may have some resistance, but odds are even if you resonate with them, you may share or come across people in your life that may not. And this episode is supposed to, in my hope, help explain why some people love what I call woo-woo, that's W-O-O-W-O-O, teachings, and other people don't really resonate with them. And it's not that one is better or worse than another. This will hopefully explain where different people tend to come from with it. You're gonna also learn some lively vocab, if you will. These aren't terms that I've made up personally, but they're episode vocabulary that you'll hear a lot on the show, especially in the Quantum Living series. So we're gonna get introduced to terms like pre-rational, rational, transrational, and the pre-trans fallacy. So get excited for those fancy new words if you're not already familiar with them. And I'm gonna touch on what quantum and classical physics have to do with the world of the woo-woo. Let's go to the show. Today's show is all about why some people reject woo-woo teachings and others love them. I can tell from the last two episodes, you guys heard me talk about the law of attraction and quantum living and why I believe emotional frequency instead of effort and intensity of energy and action is actually what's moving our lives into the directions we want to. Now, I've never seen such a response ever in the life of The Lively Show. To these teachings, I can tell so many people are excited. And as I shared in the Things I'm Afraid to Tell You episode, if this is not a direction you're interested in, just stop listening. I have been honored to be able to help you with everything I've shared up until this point. And I'm also so excited to continue now to really go into the work that I'm most personally drawn to and I'm seeing the effects of my life turn out in such wonderful ways. And I want to share this with you as well. My intention with this episode, why am I talking about why some people reject woo-woo and others love it, is to hopefully bring to light what I believe to be a few core dynamics around the concepts of energy and consciousness that block some people from benefiting from their potential. Now, this isn't to say I'm going to try to convert those people. I have no interest in converting anyone. If you like this, great. If you don't like this, great. However, the people that are resonating with it sometimes can feel a little bit scared to share what they're experiencing or what they're into with other people because our society as a whole tends to skew towards the rational, which I'll get into in a second. So you'll know what I mean when I say rational soon. But I want them just to kind of have a greater understanding of maybe some of the dynamics at play. It's really helped me understanding these frameworks, and I hope that they will help you. So I'm not trying to convince anyone to change their point of view. If you don't like this, you don't like it. It's totally fine. And I'm not saying that anyone listening to this should then go label other people in their lives based on this either. That's not really the point. I'm just trying to bring to light something I found very helpful for me to have a greater awareness and understanding of aspects that may be in play when some people love it and others hate it, or even personally, why in the past in my life, I didn't resonate totally with this work as much as I am now, and I can see my own journey on this framework that I'm about to share. So remember, this is all written in pencil, by the way. These are my personal beliefs and experiences. I encourage you to test it out with your own intuition. Take what you like and read the rest. 
It's like a pizza. If you like pizza and I like pizza, but you don't like olives and I like olives, just take the olives out of this message and leave the rest of the pizza. Enjoy the rest of it. You don't have to throw the whole pizza away because you don't like olives. Now, if you don't like pizza at all, then that just means you're probably going to go want to find a different show to listen to entirely. So that's kind of how I like to see this. Take what you like and leave the rest for other people to enjoy it because the pieces that some people don't like may be the very favorite parts for others. Ready? Okay, let's get started. So there's a few different parts here. There's actually four. Let me share what those parts are and then we'll get into this. So part one is let's define woo-woo in the first place. Part two is let's explain the pre-rational, rational, and trans-rational approaches. And then we're gonna talk about part three. Let's talk about the pre-trans fallacy. And then part four is gonna be what does this all mean? Okay, so let's start with number one. Let's define woo-woo. I know it's a term I've been using a lot and I like to say I'm everywhere on the woo-woo scale. I'll meet you at crystals. I'll meet you at quantum physics. I love all of it from science to stuff that sounds crazy to people that might love science and not be very familiar with the spiritual aspects of things. So let me define woo-woo for you guys and explain where I think some people may be missing the mark a little bit or may also just help people that are enjoying woo-woo now for the first time and going, where did this come from? I used to be such a logical, rational person. Why am I suddenly so open to this? This might be exactly for that person. I think that might be the perfect person or this might be the perfect episode to explain that specifically. Now, when I Googled woo-woo to find a definition, here's what I found, and I do think it overall does a pretty good job explaining it. It says, woo-woo refers to ideas considered irrational or based on extremely flimsy evidence or that appeal to mysterious occult forces or powers. And I think that's really interesting. So it's irrational based on extremely flimsy evidence or that appeal to mysterious occult forces or powers. So the word there that I got really interested in is irrational. It's considered irrational. That's what a woo-woo idea might be considered. Well, when I looked up the word irrational, they were actually very right. So let's look at that. So what does the word irrational mean? Well, it means basically something that is false or untrue. Basically, it's a lie. However, if you look at the definition of irrational in the dictionary, you'll also see another meaning behind this that is from a purely logical perspective. It's from mathematics. So in mathematics, in math, they have have the term an irrational number, which is a number or quantity or expression that is not expressible as a ratio of two integers and having an infinite and non-recurring expansion when expressed as a decimal. All right, what the heck did I just say? Basically, it's a number or some type of quantity that is not the ratio or not being able to be expressed as a ratio of two integers. Basically, it's not a fraction, guys. So it's a non-recurring expansion. So what those are is like the square root of two is an irrational number. The number doesn't repeat. And also the number pi, which I'm sure many people are familiar with the number pi, 3.14, whatever, whatever. It goes on forever. So those are irrational numbers. So they are real numbers. They're real. Pi and the square root of two exist. They just aren't expressed as a ratio of two integers. So... What I believe is also true is this is true for woo-woo concepts. They're real and true. They just aren't as easily explained in the same ways or governed by the same principles of other rational phenomena. Okay, so I just made this connection between rational and irrational numbers, and I believe that the concepts of woo-woo can kind of be defined very similarly. There's rational things and then there's the irrational. They still exist. They just don't have the same principles or ways of being proved as the rational phenomena. Now, let me get into that in more detail. And again, this is just my perspective. This is not, you know, me sitting on high telling you what to think. This is me sharing from my heart how I'm viewing in current pencil version and format the world and understanding people's perceptions and points of views from a greater place, I think. So here's part two. Let's explain pre-rational, rational, and trans-rational. Those are concepts we're going to look at, and I believe this is part of why people confuse them 
when they use the term woo-woo. So where does this framework come from? Apparently it was created by Jerome Bernstein and was then applied by Ken Wilber. But really, I heard about it from Rob Bell's podcast, The Robcast. I love Rob's show, and I think he has a fascinating insight on so many things. And I would love to, side note here, have Rob on the show and be able to speak to him on this stuff. I think he may not be the easiest person to get in touch with. So I'm actually going to ask you guys for your help. If you're interested in having a conversation here on The Lively Show with Rob, and I can be able to talk to him about all these subjects and so much more, please help me to do so. Please go out there and let Rob know you'd love to hear him on the show, and maybe that'll help me reach him, because there's literally no email address I can reach out to on his website. So I'm not really sure how else I'm going to do this besides having your help if you're interested too. Now, anyways, long story short, Rob mentioned this on his show, and and I have found it super helpful. The truth is though, before I get into this, I'm gonna use three terms, pre-rational, rational, and trans-rational. But of course there are dozens, if not more, frameworks that overlap and align with these concepts using different vocabulary, but essentially arrive at the same concept. It's kind of like Celsius and Fahrenheit, you know? They're both terms for the measure of the temperature. However, one of them has, you know, so many degrees and the other has a totally different set of degrees between boiling and freezing. So we can slice it and dice it in many different ways. But the point is, these are three that are rather simple. So it's an easy thing for me to explain with you here. And it's been really useful for me as well. Now let's get into it. So pre-rational, what is pre-rational? By the way, if you want to really get into this, which maybe we'll do that in a future episode, maybe it'd be fun to talk to Rob or someone else about spiral dynamics, which is a term you can go Google if you want to get into this, but this also does align with some of the colors in the spiral dynamics framework. But pre-rational is basically the beliefs that things like magic stuff or mythical things are seen as literally true. Like Hercules literally could do everything that Hercules could do. People were literally as old as they were in other myths and that sort of thing. And often pre-rational stuff could be used by cult leaders to be misused and kind of abuse power so they can make up things and make other people believe them. It's pre-rational. It doesn't actually include rational thought within those frameworks. So the easy way to think of it is thinking that myths are literally true, that those things literally happened. That is pre-rational. Then, then we move on to rational. And when it comes to rational, and also you could say pre-rational, I'm not going to get into the details here on pre-rational being pre-egoic or not, but I will say that rational, I think the ego tends to live around this place in the rational. Not that rational thought is ego. I don't want you guys to make that assumption here, but it's kind of interesting when we get to the third aspect I'll get to in a second. But either way, rational is obviously, these are the facts, what you can sense, taste, touch, feel, smell, what you can see. That is what is real. Those are the facts. I like to think of classical physics in that way. It's part of the rational thought. Our society as a whole has been largely rational. I think they would say in spiral dynamics for around the last 300 years or so. I may not be exactly right on that number, but for the most part, that has been a large way that the society has seen things through the rational. And I'm also going to talk about what I'm coining the term classical personal development here and bringing these concepts into how we're applying them here on the show going forward. So that's rational. It's the facts, the figures, what you see is what you get. The people that reject the woo-woo stuff are probably in the rational camp saying, it doesn't make sense. I can't, you know, smell, taste, touch this stuff. It sounds too out there. So they're probably seeing the world through that rational lens. Then there's trans-rational. So trans-rational beliefs, they're deeply contemplative and move beyond any ordinary categories of reason and logic, but not beneath it. They transcend and include reason. They're not anti-rational. So they transcend rational. It's going beyond rational. It means rational is still a part of it. It's just that there's more to the story than just what is in the rational camp. Here, that's transegoic. So that's learning to transcend your ego and recognize that you are not your thinking mind, that the thinking mind is there in the rational, but you can also learn to control, stop, and observe it. That's what mindfulness and meditation and those sorts of things help you to recognize and attain. It's beyond just the rational. Also here is where intuition lives. And in this place, unlike where the pre-rational believes that the myths are 
literally true and everything literally happened. This is believing the myths as metaphorically true, that there could be some metaphor within that that touches on a deep internal or universal principle or truth, but it does not necessarily mean to be exactly literally true. In order for me to explain this, Ken Wilber has a really great quote, so I'm going to share it with you here. He said, so how indeed to get this kind of conversation going in the modern world is very difficult because if you look at some of the more dogmatic forms of religion, not that dogma is bad, it has its place, but if you look at those types as what we are calling exoteric or the religion of myth and dogma, it's arguably the cause of more human suffering and death than any other man-made cause on the face of the planet. And yet, if you look at the great paths of liberation, those are contemplative paths that have claimed to show men and women a doorway to the deepest part of their own consciousness, to the realm which is timeless and spaceless and beyond death and the pain and mortality. So on the one hand, we have religion causing most of human suffering imaginable. And on the other hand, we have the only path out of human suffering that we know of. How to get the conversation going is extraordinarily difficult, and yet there arguably is no more important conversation we can have. That was his quote, but now that you hear that, you think about it, he's saying basically the pre-rational thoughts have created a lot of man-made war and destruction among people based on belief. And then at the same time, some of those beliefs at their truest core are the paths to liberating yourself from pain, fear, and truly to accept and find universal oneness with everyone. So of course, this is really difficult because people can use them from the pre-rational state or from the trans-rational. So of course, if you're just sitting in the rational camp, you're like, I just want to avoid woo-woo or religion or anything spiritual altogether because of all of the pain and suffering that has come from some people using these teachings to create a lot of destruction. Now let's look deeper from the point of view of the rational and the transrational, because I don't think many people listening to this are probably focused on the pre-rational as much as they may be kind of flip-flopping or kind of looking more at the rational transrational relationship. So this is my personal opinion on these subjects. This is me sharing with you from my heart. This may not resonate with you. Use it or lose it. I don't care. This is just me truly sharing with you guys. Here's how I'm looking at this and applying this personally. I love these frameworks. I may not believe everything that Kim Wilber believes. He may never not believe everything that I believe. That's totally fine. Live and let live, right? Everything is wonderful. But here's my take when I think about these terms and what gets me really excited. So when it comes to rational, I really go to the thought of science and reason and math and classical physics. So classical physics is the way things work at levels larger than the atom. And when I think about classical physics and how it's applied in our lives, what I've noticed here in Sydney is that they have this beautiful harbor and I keep passing as I go to the Botanic Gardens and walk down there, I keep seeing this battleship or a handful of battleships in the Sydney Harbor. Now that battleship is created using the levels of classical physics. So the boat itself, the machinery for the most part, that's all using the technology we've created from classical physics, especially if it was created, let's say in the 1800s. That is the technology that we have based on classical physics. So I also believe, and this is my little term I'm coining, classical personal development. So at the rational stage, if we're looking at the world from the space and time and the rules of the world that operate at the atom or larger. So once we have things in our lives, how do we, you know, what do we do with them? How do we act and that sort of thing? I believe that one of the beliefs, one of the core beliefs of the classical personal development sphere, the personal self-growth, all that kind of stuff. If we're looking at the teachings that are out there and the self-help book section, if you will, there's classical personal development. And to me, one of the main beliefs that there's there is that physical actions create outcomes. For example, work hard if you want to get results, or if you simply follow the physical steps that work for other people, that means you're going to get the same results that they have. It's all about the paths and the processes. And if you just follow them and you work hard enough, you're going to get what you want. Now, I actually don't think this is that true because if you think about it, if that's really true, how come there aren't more Googles, Michael Jordans, and Oprahs out there? If it really just was about taking the same exact steps that they took, how come we don't have people that are creating exactly the same results? Well, I think there's some stuff in the transrational that I'll get to in a second that's explaining that. But basically, I just want to say that the classical personal development world seems to really focus on actions creating the outcomes in your life. 
which is true at the larger than atom level. I think that you can create outcomes by working really hard. Am I going to say that you can't? Absolutely not. You can. However, as I shared on the quantum living episode recently, I think that the hard work is really affecting their frequency or their frequency is aiding the hard work and is really doing most of the work. So go listen to that episode if you're interested in more details on that. Also, another framework here to add to this classical or rational side of living or seeing the world, it's kind of what Gary Zukav in The Seed of the Soul calls a five sensory of being. It's someone that wants to see, smell, taste, touch, hear, and I might be missing one of the senses, but you know, it's the five senses. That is reality. That's all there is. So everything has to come from those senses. If I can't sense it from one of those aspects of my being, it doesn't exist. Now, what's interesting here is as I'm learning about neurology. I'm starting to recognize the specialization of each lobe of the brain. Now, of course, the brain is a very generally, rather speaking, new aspect of medicine that is continued to evolve in its understanding of the brain. So this is still hazy and could be proven in other ways to be not true. But right now, from what I'm learning, I'm finding that the left brain seems to specialize in a lot of aspects of logic. Obviously, not all of these, but it also finds the focus on convergent things. So what does that mean? The left brain tends to specialize in convergent, which is being fairly focused on application of existing knowledge and rule to the task of isolating a single correct answer. (laughs) That sounds like a mouthful, even as I say that. I look at the words and I can understand what they mean, but let me say it again since you're listening. It's basically being fairly focused on applying your existing knowledge and rule. So the rules that we know and are already familiar with to whatever task we're doing in order to find a single correct answer. So it's looking for the safe, predictable, understandable aspect of something in our lives. How often do we just want to know, I want to get this job or this job, or I want to know how to get from here to here, A to B. That is very much the left brain. And that is where I think a lot of this classical development, classical physics and all that stuff has been really coming from a lot of people getting really developed in that lobe of their brain, potentially. So it's just my theories, guys, not saying this is fact, but this is just from what I'm learning. It just seems to be all coagulating for me, at least personally, in a really exciting way that's like, oh, I can understand why that would be that way. Now let's move on to transrational. Transrational, I include quantum mechanics and quantum physics here. As you guys know, I'm obsessed with it. And basically, if you are still confused on that term, don't let it scare you. Quantum mechanics is the way things work at the atomic and subatomic level. So that means particles, electrons, protons. That's how those things in the atom or smaller work. An example here, you know how I shared the example of the battleship in the Sydney Harbor that's based on, if, especially if it was built, let's say, 100 years ago, that is classical physics applied to how things float, how things move around in the physical world. The atom bomb would be an example of something that is technology based on quantum mechanics. Also, fun fact, the phone that you are listening or whatever device you're listening to this episode on is also based on the principles of quantum mechanics, not classical. So cool. Isn't that interesting? So you might be asking, why am I placing quantum mechanics in the transrational instead of the rational since it's a science? If both of the quantum physics and the classical physics are considered science, why am I not putting quantum in rational? This is me personally doing this. I'm not saying this is, you know, someone else's opinion, but this is just me. And I'm going to say this because for me, the rules that govern the atomic and subatomic level are so incomprehensibly divergent from classical physics, like the speed of light, locality, all of the stuff that governs the classical physics. Quantum physics has totally different things. It has things like particles being in two places at the same time, has quantum tunneling where particles can go through walls which is crazy sounding. Particles can jump in and out of existence, defying time. There are things called the superposition of states and probability waves. And the fact that the observer effect of consciousness collapses wave potentials. Now I've just shared a bunch of stuff I'll go through, I'm sure in episodes in the future, but those things, let me just say, don't make any sense on the classical physics level. They sound insane to the classical physics level. Yet they are things that they have found to be repeatedly proven and scientifically shown. Now, to me, what this means is that classical physics still applies. We're not saying that classical physics doesn't exist, which when we think about pre-rational, we might say, 
the the myth is literally true and rational thought does not exist for them. We're saying no, rational, like classical physics is still how the arc of a ball is thrown. We're just saying the atoms that make up that ball in the first place have different rules around them. It transcends, it includes the rational rules of what the ball's behavior is like, but at the smallest level have totally new expanded perspective. It has different things that go beyond the rules of classical physics. So if you dive deep enough, really, into this whole idea of quantum mechanics, you get to the idea of the unified field of pure abstract potential, which behaves nothing like the arc of a ball thrown by a baseball player or the, you know, the speed of a ball dropping from a tall building. That's all that classical stuff. It has nothing to do with it. Yet, when the ball is thrown, all of that stuff that goes within is still included in the transrational at the same time. So... Take a little pause and just say, I believe that the transrational includes the classical physics and so the quantum mechanics is in this category. This would also be where I'm putting my new term, quantum living or quantum personal development. Here, the beliefs that are prevalent, I believe are different than the classical beliefs that I said before that actions create the outcomes we want. For me personally, as I'm developing and really tying all this together for myself personally, I'm starting to have this belief that emotional frequency attracts physical outcomes. Now, in Gary Zukav's example, as I said earlier, he had the five sensory being. Gary Zukav calls this the multi-sensory being, which is the ability to sense beyond the five senses. Now, he goes into a lot of stuff that may sound super woo-woo for the rationals out there, but I'll also just say, even if you just look at the concept of intuition, that you know I have been obsessed with for years and many people listening to the show are not going to say they don't have an intuition. But if I asked you which sense of your five senses is the intuition, do you taste, touch, hear, smell, see your intuition? I would say that's a different experience that's beyond the five senses. That's how I personally experience it, though I interpret what I feel or hear It's really, I believe, coming from a different place. It's not actually coming like there's someone whispering in my ear. It's coming from a deeper place than that. So for me, that's where this multi-sensory being, this idea of saying, I recognize that there is the five senses of the rational, not going to deny, can see, smell, taste, touch, hear, you know, all of that's true. And at the same time, I can get inspiration, wisdom, and guidance from a place deep within me that I can't point to a sense for that being the intuition. Now, when it comes to the neurology of this, as I said earlier, I think that the rational side is really specialized often in many ways in the left brain, and maybe not exclusively here, but I just think there's a lot going on there. Whereas the right brain specializes in emotional processing, artistic functions and creativity, and instead of being cognizant and convergent, trying to find the single answer from logic and experience and rules, The right brain is divergent, which means that it moves outward from conventional knowledge. And then conventional knowledge here, I'm going to apply that and say, hey guys, doesn't that sound a lot like classical physics and classical development? That's all classical conventional knowledge into unexplored association. So divergent, the right brain, moves outward from conventional knowledge into unexplored association. What am I literally doing here? I am literally, and I think quantum mechanics and quantum scientists and philosophers trying to find these new connections that go beyond just the rational are in this transrational place going to the unexplored association, things that aren't seen as the classical level would point them to. So this is the entire point of transactionals, moving outward from conventional knowledge. So I think there may be potentially some link here to the right brain being a part of this. Now, not going to say that's totally true. I'm not a neurologist, yet have I talked to one, but I am excited to do some, and maybe I'll do it on the show here. I'm so excited to dive in with scientists and really understand this stuff from a person who's devoted their whole lives to this, because right now I'm just dipping my toe in the water. But let's go back to woo-woo, right? That's where we started with all of this. Why do some people reject it and others love it? Woo-woo could simply be a transrational perspective of life that the rational approach does not accept as true. So maybe woo-woo is the transrational stuff and the rational perspective doesn't see it as true, but it may be just as real as the concepts of the irrational numbers of pi and the square root of two. They're irrational and true at the same time. But I think there's a bit more to the story. We can't just say categorically that all the woo-woo stuff you've ever heard in the world is true. The rational approach just can't comprehend it. 
That's not it at all. That moves us on to part three. Part three is let's talk about the pre-trans fallacy. And again, we're going to go back to Ken Wilber here. By the way, I didn't even know who Ken Wilber was until I was writing out the notes for this episode. And as I was trying to find the official definitions, not just the Rob Bell definitions of the post and pre-rational and all of that stuff, I kind of stumbled onto Ken's work. I find it really interesting. I've just literally only studied him for one day. I don't think he believes everything that I'm putting out here, but I do find this framework so helpful. And he even adopted it from someone else. So here is his perspective on this pre-trans fallacy. And I think it's really fascinating. He said that the pre-rational and trans-rational both look the same towards a rational perspective because they're both non-conventional or non-rational. So the highest human potentials of the human beings, which might be the trans-rational here, that's what we're putting in there, those teachings are reduced to the lowest stages of development, to the pre-rational. That's reductionism. Now, reductionism, what is that exactly? It means grouping the trans-rational teachings that include rational and all of these things that are beyond just the rational and putting them in the pre-rational category. So it's like taking our furthest evolution of our consciousness and calling it (laughs) cray-cray, right? That's not cool. Like we're just taking what's the most leading edge of our consciousness as a human race and putting it into the mythical stuff and saying that can't be true because I can't measure it with my Geiger counter in the rational world. Now that would be a disappointment, right? Because we'd be losing out on so much of the furthest edge. On the other hand, we also do want to avoid elevationism. Ken Wilber calls elevationism taking the pre-rational states and elevating them to trans-rational glory. So we don't want to do that. We don't want to take what's essentially the pre-rational myths and saying that they're trans-rational and making them sound like they're just even more evolved than rational. So that would be kind of like saying that the world is flat. That was a pre-rational thought, taking those beliefs that are no longer, you know, as the rational information would show, true, and saying that they're trans-rational. The rational people just can't see that the earth is flat. That would be denying rational truth. So trans-rational transcends and includes rational. It's perfectly aware of it. It knows that it exists. It can use the rational perfectly. Now, here's where I believe there's some debate. Basically, it's up to us to define what is transrational and what is not. For example, from what I understood from studying Ken Wilber and being fascinated with him, he may not agree with the law of attraction. Now, I have no idea how much he's actually learned about the law of attraction before he decided to dismiss it. If you just listen to The Secret, as I've said before, I didn't resonate with that very much too. I kind of thought it was a little pre-rational as well. But then for me personally, when I heard the Abraham Hicks stuff, which Ken Wilber doesn't like, but again, I don't know how much he actually listened to really get to the truth of that or not. And I've said before, I think a lot of people miss the point of the law of attraction. And I did the episode explaining those three aspects, especially that I think many people get wrong. But from what I understand, he does not agree with it. But then there's people like Wayne Dyer that totally do agree with the law of attraction. And I know I heard Eckhart Tolle explain the laws of manifestation verbatim in Costa Rica, the same as the law of attraction would say. Did he talk about Abraham Hicks? No. But did he explain every step that I've heard Abraham Hicks explain? Absolutely. So obviously this is up to debate. It depends if you want to agree with Ken Wilber and you want to say it's woo-woo and not really true, or you can believe the way Wayne Dyer, I do, or Eckhart Tolle. It doesn't really matter. What's really what I'm going to say is it matters what resonates with you. So at the end of the day, even though I'm going to lay out all of this stuff, it's really what you're resonating with right now. Maybe right now you're in the pre-rational. Maybe you're at the rational. Maybe you're at trans-rational. Maybe we're just all using these terms and who really cares? I don't know. But What I do know is that people are going to have some perception of something, and I'd love for them to keep an open mind to consider that some woo-woo things may be trans-rational, like what I would say about quantum physics or the principles I'm at least extrapolating from quantum living and seeing the experience in my own life prove to be so true. So even if you're unsure, just trying your own experiment with it, if it resonates with you, would be a really great place to start. And it also means we shouldn't be poking sticks at other people saying, just because I resonate with this you should too and you just don't see it yet. That's not really helpful. It is just helpful for us to look within and also keep in mind that there are these general categories, some that don't include rational, some that do, and that some that transcend include and included. So all of this is to say, just to go back again to this whole quantum mechanics and classical physics example, 
in quantum mechanics. It includes classical physics, explains it further and deeper. It gets to the nature of matter and energy that often aren't apparent at the macro scale of the physical matter that our five senses can easily see, smell, taste, touch, and hear. However, you can't say that quantum mechanics isn't real or effective, even though it sounds crazy. It sounds woo-woo to say things like entangled particles, no matter how far away they are, no matter how many light years apart they are, that they have instantaneous spin that are opposite of each other. That is insane. That the observer effect, the fact that the behavior of particles when they're observed changes because they're observed, that sounds woo-woo. The superposition of states sounds woo-woo. Just because it sounds insane, Insane and illogical or irrational doesn't mean that it's not happening. And there are still many more mysteries we do not fully understand about this level of the universe. So that's what the transrational is including. It says, we know a lot of stuff in the rational and there are other things we don't understand as well. Let's keep that open mind and keep progressing to the mysteries that are beyond our current understanding. It's kind of like that power of the battleship in Sydney Harbor. When you think about that battleship and the technology of how to launch a bomb, I find it so funny now looking at those battleships because I thought back as I saw it, my first thought was, oh my gosh, this is a big ship and this used to protect a country from other countries. But when I think about the atom bomb and the power that has to actually do destruction, this battleship truly looks like a toy compared to it because the technology, the impact, going from the large scale technology of classical physics and matter at the level of the atom or larger is so minuscule compared to the power and the technology using things at the smallest levels at the most mysterious levels, at the most woo-woo sounding levels, the atom bomb is a huge game changer. What I am doing here is making the leap to say that just because this applies in science, I also, to me, it's all connected. We're part of the same 14 elements of the universe. Why would we not behave in the same way as these other things? I just make that leap. Not everyone will, but for me, I have. And when it comes to that, I think about understanding things in our own lives from the level of thought, emotion, and the chemicals within ourselves before they manifest into the physical reality of our world. How much are we able to shift our lives if we understand how to unlock the potential within that? To me, that's going to be the same shift as the technology from the, you know, the battleship in the harbor trying to effort our way to success all day long versus learning how to change our thoughts, create, curate our thoughts and our emotions and see the results from there. To me, that's the life-changing shift I've seen personally, and I would love and continue to bring to you. So as I said, this is easy for us to talk about. It is much less easy for us to really know what's true, because if you think about it, look at the explorers back in the day. That's really what we're all doing here. We're exploring what this even means to us. Consciousness itself to be studied in this way that we are doing in our space and time. Yes, there has been religions of many centuries that have been studying it, but even those last few centuries are relatively new to the human race. So let's give ourselves a lot of compassion to say we're still figuring this out. I like to think about, can Wilbur made this analogy too, and I thought it was great. I gave my parents this map of Michigan when I was in college, and it was a really old map that looked like one of the original maps that someone had ever drawn of Michigan. And it was so funny because it didn't look anything like Michigan actually looks like. For those that don't know, Michigan, the state has the upper peninsula, which goes above it, but then the lower peninsula looks like a mitten or your hand if you put all your fingers together. So the way that this map, that this person that drew it early, early on in their cartography and their exploration, it looks like a tree stump basically coming out instead of looking like a mitten. They totally got it wrong. Now, this is totally what could be happening here. What we're assigning transrational or pre-rational is really going to be based on our intuition and our gut. We're going to really arbitrarily do it. Like, for example, I put the law of attraction in the transrational category and Ken Wilber puts it in the pre-rational category. Or some people put religion in the pre-rational category and other people understand like Eckhart Tolle how to like tie all of these major religions into this transrational amazing understanding that totally transcends any one specific spirit or teaching and really is unified into the whole. So it's really about our level of consciousness evolving and just being okay with where we're at. Here's another example of this that I really want to share, which came from one of the most highly conscious transrational, in my opinion, 
priest I've ever found. He's an Indian Catholic priest named Anthony DeMello. He tells a story about fire. He said, there's a guy who invented fire. And as soon as he invented it, he went to the hill people long ago to let them know how to use it so they could cook and they could stay warm. He taught it in more villages and he went around the villages teaching people how to make fire. As he did this, the priests around these villages started to fear that their popularity would go down. So the priests poisoned the inventor of the fire. And since many of the people, once they poisoned him, suspected that the priests had killed him, the people had an idea. They decided to put a painting of him on the altar, above the altar, and they started to also put the tools for the fire, and they started to venerate the inventor of the fire. So here they are, they're starting to venerate the fire maker and they have the tools for fire up there. And this created a whole liturgy around the veneration of the inventor and the tools for making fire. And the worship went on century after century, but over time there was no fire. So that can definitely happen with this pre-rational and trans-rational. When we come to this teaching, whatever it might be, we can end up taking the teaching that's technically transrational and really, really evolved. But if our consciousness as we're consuming it is not as evolved as the teacher that's teaching it, it doesn't mean that we're bad. It just means that they're doing the best they can. And as they try to do the best they could to pay respect for it, instead of making the fire, which was the whole point of the fire inventor's journey was here's how you make fire yourself. Instead, over time, it became here's how to worship the person that made fire. Well, that's when the rational rejects this perspective and says that it's all hocus pocus. It's throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Please know it's not the fault of the people who worship the fire maker and the inventor of the fire. It's not their fault. They simply didn't have access to the level of consciousness that the inventor of the fire had. So they interpreted it in the best way they knew how. They did the best they could. And when this happens and the truth and the beneficial application that the teaching has within it at all times is there, it's there in plain sight, hidden century after century as they try to interpret it with their pre-rational state. So this is just to explain, like, this is why it's so easy for rational to reject the woo-woo. It doesn't mean that there's not actually wonderful seeds of truth within it. It even, I would even say the law of attraction. Personally, I would say for me, at least the the secret kind of lent to me, it resonated more at the pre-rational state for me personally, but to me, the other teachings I found through Abraham Hicks resonate for me personally to the real, real juice of it. And I had to spend months really studying it to really adopt and get away from my own ego's focus on the shiny penny nature of it to the real truth of it, which is about alignment, alignment, alignment for the sake of alignment, not for the sake of the manifestations. But that's the transrational truths I found in going through this teaching. But someone else, for example, could easily just get to the surface level of it, see it as pre-rational, or even hear people interpret it from a pre-rational state and then throw it out with the bathwater. Doesn't mean that there's not seeds of truth in it. It just means that there is a level of execution on it that can skew pre-rational or transrational. Hopefully you guys are still with me here and you're still on this. And really, who's to know? Who's to know what's going to happen in the next 100 years or so? Who knows what's going to happen? Are more people going to create these connections between quantum development? And they're starting to look at quantum biology now, which is super exciting to me to see. This stuff is the underpinnings of all of the matter in our universe. How would those principles, it sound crazy and woo-woo as all get out, how do those affect us? They have to. They're the building blocks. They're just so small. We haven't been able to see them until the last hundred years. So it's just like the fact that the entire universe has been here all along using quantum mechanics to run the universe. That's how it started. In fact, the sun itself runs thanks to quantum tunneling of the hydrogen and helium atoms. So the fact is like we've been in this world of quantum mechanics in this transrational state all along. We just haven't been aware of it. This is where I think we're moving next. And I am trying to look at how those principles that have been here all along, that have just been beyond our own rational understanding, apply at the level of our daily lives when we wake up. So this is what I'm doing here. I'm just sitting here trying to look at all of this from the scientific perspective, see what is coming out, and also see what all of these mystics and all of these teachers and spiritual teachers have been sharing for centuries in many cases. Tie it all together because I think that this is all interwoven into the same fabric. We just haven't had the language and we just look at so much of the transrational stuff as insane because of the rational 
being so strong because of the rejection of the pre-rational, because so much stuff has been done that was harmful or totally false or abused on the pre-rational level. It's just been something we've been scared to really look into. But I think that's changing more and more. I can see it happening, obviously, in science, and I think it's going to become much more common in our daily reality, too. And I'm excited to go along with you on this journey. So hopefully this episode makes sense to you. I know that was a lot and you might be asking, how do you know if someone's operating a pre or transrational level? My suggestion would be go with your gut. If it seems like it's something that resonates with you, go for it. If it doesn't, let it go. That's all it is. If you like the pizza they're serving, eat it. Don't throw it out if it just is the olives you don't like. Feel free to take the rest of the pizza with you and just adapt the parts of the toppings that don't really serve you. Or if you don't like the pizza at all, let it go. Go eat meatballs instead. So what this all means part four here, you might be wondering, what did I just say? And I'm going to kind of wonder that myself too. What did I just share with you guys? Can you guys take that all in? Hopefully, if you want to re-listen to it, feel free to. But basically, there are three generalized categories of what I believe are perceived reality, pre-rational, rational, and transrational. Depending on the one you're currently perceiving within, which it can change over time, obviously. I used to be much more in the rational camp and open to transrational, and now I feel much more like I'm actually experiencing within and seeing and perceiving within the transrational. Doesn't mean I'm perfect at it, but I could definitely align much more with what I believe to be the transrational. And like I said, other people may think that what I'm doing feels pre-rational to them. So you got to go with what makes you feel good. If what you're hearing makes you want to go deeper and reflect further, you may find a new perspective emerge. If so, wonderful. If not, wonderful. There's no wrong here. And if you find someone else dismissing some potential teaching because it seems too woo-woo, please pause and reflect internally about whether it strikes a deep chord within you personally. Please use your own intuition as your guide. You do not need anyone else to tell you anything. Your intuition has what's right for you, what's best for you within you at all times. Perhaps some of these things you'll hear will resonate in any part of the world you'll hear, will resonate 100% with your logical mind. If so, wonderful. If not, wonderful. Or perhaps it'll sound sort of true, but something about it is off enough that your gut tells you not to adopt it personally. If that happens, wonderful. If not, wonderful. For example, for me, that kind of happened with the secret stuff. I just didn't really resonate with it. Hint though, make sure it's your true intuition and not just ego fear, because that could be pre-rational or it could be the ego just fearing the transrational because the transrational often looks at the ego itself and tries to actually look at the fear that the ego is using to run your life and try to look beyond it. So sometimes the ego will try to keep you away from things that could help you escape the fear and the security of the ego. Or perhaps something might even sound illogical. It doesn't make sense, yet at the same time, it resonates so deeply within you, you know it's worth exploring and keeping an open mind about then it's wonderful too. And if not, that's wonderful. All the reactions are totally valid upon all subjects. You are the key holder to your perceived reality. So please choose what resonates with you. And there you have it. If you want to find me on Instagram, Snapchat, or Twitter, you can find me over at Jess C as in Canals of Amsterdam Lively. And for show notes for this episode, hop over to jesslively.com slash quantum woo woo. Before I share where I'm headed to next on my trip, let's talk with Lively Show listener Melanie Abrantes about her experience with today's sponsor, squarespace.com. Melanie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And I'm happy to have you here to share you and your awesome site and products. Tell us a little bit about yourself. My name's Melanie, and I am a designer and maker living in the Bay Area. I have my studio in Oakland, and I make cork and wood products. Tell us about your site, MelanieAbrantis.com. What do you specifically sell, and how did you get started? So I sell cork and wood products, and I mostly work with home goods. So I do cake stands to planters to even bases. And um, the reason why I started is because growing up, I'm half Portuguese, and I always saw cork in Portugal. And it was something that I found really unusual as a product, but they use it for everything. I really enjoyed it. And so I really knew that when I graduated, I wanted to use cork as a product of mine because mostly of my culture and heritage. That's awesome. I didn't know cork was such a big part of Portugal. 
Yeah, it's about 80% of the revenue. So they they produce a lot of it. (laughs) 80% of the revenue. That is crazy. How long ago did you get started with your business? So I started around two years ago, kind of just with something that I was doing on the side. And then I just kind of had a really great start by going to a craft show. And Squarespace was something that I really enjoyed using mostly because it was something I needed when I was on the kind of on a time crunch. So they were able to really let me have a beautiful website in a short amount of time. And then obviously it just was something that ended up developing as I went. And it really worked out because I was able to use just my own photos. And then I later on was able to use a professional photographer. So everything ended up looking as beautiful as it does today. (laughs) Yeah, it really does look amazing. How do you think other people can get their sites to look as awesome as yours? I would definitely recommend just having a really great photographer and having knowing exactly what you kind of want. Squarespace makes it easy for you to really get a cohesive and beautiful site up. So it's not that much work. And it only really took me a couple of days. And I always recommend it to my own friends. I think a couple of my friends actually use it because even though I did graphic design, I am not a web designer. So it was really something that helped out because I wasn't, I didn't have to hire anyone and I could do everything myself, which is always really great, especially when you're starting a business. Absolutely. So what do you love about Squarespace the most? Um, I really love the functions that you're able to use such large photos. Since I'm such a visual person being a designer, it was something that I really enjoyed. I'm not the best writer, so I was able to really tell my story through photos alone. And also, it's just really one of those things where it looks so professional and you did it yourself. So it's just the, the factor that it is so easy to put up a website. What would you tell people thinking about building a new blog or website? I would definitely recommend Squarespace and I would tell you to really look into what you could do visually with it. And for people who are considering starting their own blog or website, Squarespace has a special lively show offer. You can get 10% off of your service going forward as well as a free 14-day trial by going to squarespace.com slash lively. And then when it comes time to check out after you've tried it for 14 days and really got your site up the way you'd like it or on its journey to getting to where you want it to be, you can use the code lively at checkout to get that 10% off. Melanie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people go to find you and your beautiful pieces? They can either find me on my website at melanieabrontes.com or on Instagram at melanieabrontesdesigns. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. And now for a sneak peek, I am headed to Ibiza, Spain. And for those Americans that know it as Ibiza, it's Ibiza. Or if you're in Britain, it's Ibiza. (laughs) So anyways, I'm headed out to Ibiza. So excited to experience this island in Spain for a conference called A-Fest, which was originally the shortened word for a term called Awesomeness Fest. It's now known as A-Fest, and I've heard amazing things about it. So I'm so excited to experience it firsthand myself. And of course, if there's anything I feel like will be wonderful to share. I'll be doing so on Instagram and maybe in season four of the lively show as well. So until next week, may something wonderful happen to you today. 